Hi, you guys, and welcome to TrailerCast. I am Elise Snipes, your host, and I'm having a special conversation with somebody on the other side of the world today, and yeah, buckle up, guys. This conversation is about like the kind of news that you hope you never get, the the results, the phone call, the things you hope to never hear, and so I'm I'm excited for you to get to hear it, mainly because I think it's such an honest look into some pretty like <sighs> to the morbid reality of being human. And so I'm I'm thankful for today's honest conversation. I hope that we get to listen in in the various roles of the person who gets the news, the person who the news affects, the friends of the people who get news like this, and how we can continue to show up and and all the ways we didn't know we needed to and that we'd be able to take away a gift from this conversation. So without further ado, thank you as always for choosing to listen to this podcast. I am, yeah, my heart is full when I think, when I think about the people who get to, to be here and get connected and, and learn and feel and just live. So thank you. Thank you. Here we go. So about three years ago, my family went through a series of pretty hard things, a lot of layers actually of trauma upon trauma. Um, And to top that all off in January this year, just before the pandemic hit, um, our youngest of four kids, he's five, he was diagnosed with leukemia. Um, So just totally changed my family's life in such such every single way. yeah. So, um, would you, you tell me about that diagnostic process? What was what was going on with with him? How did you know? We had the best summer vacation. I'm down here in New Zealand, and mm-hmm. we went away for the Christmas holiday period, um, and everything was perfect. We had the perfect summer vacation <laughs> together, and we came back, and he went away to some family members for a sleepover. And he's five, and he just didn't want to use someone else's yeah. bathroom. He came back um, oh, totally. complaining of his full stomach. So I thought, this is—he's the youngest of five, and he's like a four kids, and he's—he's he's just the roughest, like most toughest, you know, loudest, <laughs> out, most outgoing kid there is. And for him to complain, extra was really out of character. So I took him to the doctor and said, you know, just check he doesn't have appendicitis or something. Right. And the doctor was like, you know what, let's just go and get a check at the hospital because I can't scan his body. I can't look at it. Um, and so the doctors at the hospital said, look, I think he just has constipation. Um, we're just going to run one blood, blood test um, just to be thorough and check there's nothing else happening going on. Um, they did that, and I was just thinking, right, we're going to go home tonight, um, and right. like you would, and the blood test came back, and they said his counts were all, his blood counts were all a little bit too low, and they said it's probably just a mistake with his blood test, let's do another one, and of course, <laughs> me being me, I went on to Google and looked up what that yeah. meant, <laughs> 
And yep. I said to my husband, look, I think it might be leukemia. And he was like, look, don't get ahead of the doctors. Just wait and see. Um, and it turned out he did. And they caught it very early oh. before he had any symptoms. Oh, and my gosh. You're the constipation no was just a red herring. It was nothing to do with uh, leukemia. I have the chills right now. So it was, I mean, there are so many ways we could interpret that red herring. That was oh, I'm thankful for her not using was... toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. So because it, you could technically at this moment still not know. We would by now. They said it's such a, with kids and leukemia. It's um, this was in January. They said it's really rapid. So probably within okay. a okay. month or two, we would have found out for one reason or another. It's they mm. said if we did nothing. Um, he would have died within a year. No, um, no. Incredible. No. Yeah. So tell uh, me about Theo's, for like, what, where, where is he at? What's, what does treatment look like? What is, this is so much. Oh, it's full on. I mean, his prognosis is like his chance of survival is over 95%. It's one of the miracle stories of cancer, um, childhood leukemia. So, and he's got, the doctors said the best type of cancer you could have if you were going to get one um but the treatment is so so intense um eight months yeah. in he's at the hospital every week for chemo he's on pills at home constantly going in to the hospital with emergencies and sometimes we stay there for a very long time I think two or two and a half weeks was the longest but often it's a week's day oh. at a time so yeah life is really sort of unplannable and on top of a pandemic yes. where nothing is planable but this is kind of not planable to the point where we're ready to go to bed at night I check his temperature like we have to do just before bed every night and then suddenly I'm in the car going to the hospital um yeah this is, no I mean I'm just like every part of me is like what like I don't know how I don't even know where to put this as far as like logging this is real life yeah, and it's the most the common most common thing people say to us is, you know, I don't know what you're going through and I can't imagine it. Um, and it's true, but it also feels a bit like a, a period to the sentence or an end of the conversation. And what I really want is someone to say, and no one ever does, um, can you, you know, explain to me or tell me, I want to imagine it, I want to understand how it feels. Um, yes. Tell like tell me more. Like tell me all the details you wish you could tell someone. Yeah, like it it gets into every single part of your thinking, your life, you, every single part of it. And in many ways, like we're going through the hardest, most awful of times, but also mm -hmm. oddly learning the most and like our family has been strengthened the most at the same time. Um with all the things we've gone through, my husband and I feel closer and we have better conversations with our kids. Um, one of the things my husband often says to them, the other kids as well as the Theo is, you know, do you want hard or worse? There's no easy here. Um, whoa, whoa. And, do you want it hard or worse? Wow. Yeah. And I think it's just an acknowledgement that mm -hmm. this is mm -hmm. awful. This is not easy. No one wants to be doing this, but we don't have a choice here. Um, and yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. <laughs> and I think 
people are desperate to help at the beginning and then quickly it fades away. Um, and people have been incredibly kind and generous to us. But the things we most want, they can't help with, which was a good night's sleep. Um, yeah. Headspace where I just can just be and not be thinking, I have to get home as fast as possible just in case um, he needs me. Totally. Um, yeah. And I think yes. no one yeah. wants to come Peace and look after my, no one wants to come and look out babysit my kids when, you know, they've got one of the four kids, even if he's doing well, just in case something happens. So we just don't mm. get the time my husband and I to go out. Um, we have got one friend who's, who's a yes person, but I also don't want to burden her being the only person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And it's really interesting, the doctors and all the social workers, when you first get told, there's a lot of warning you that it's not just the medical side, it's all the um, relationships and social connections that really shift. And our circle has changed dramatically since his diagnosis. Um, I guess the the pandemic has added to that. Um, Of course. Firstly, we can't really socialize with people anyways. Just any germs is at certain points of his treatment is, is very risky for him. Um, but also people I don't think want to know um, because either it's too uncomfortable or they don't want to imagine because they've got their own kids and mm-hmm. the thought of it is just like True. awful. Um, yes. And cancer is just something out there that happens to other kids nothing nobody totally yeah. um, you, you know Rachel I think you're you coming here and we're doing this conversation I think is exactly why this type of podcast exists because people fumble when they haven't heard a story like this before and then when it hits close to home people can get funky. It's like they, it's like almost as if cancer becomes contagious or like somebody dies and people like, Oh my gosh, maybe someone's going to die next to me. And so they, they don't know what to do. So they don't look at it. And it's like, wait, the people that are in that are actually, you know, that are really suffering need someone to look them in the eyes and say, how can I show up? What do you Mm. need? How can I help? But I see Mm. you. Yeah. So this and is... to be okay with saying it's awful and not, um, there are other people who just want to always, I guess, be that kind of positive Tigger person in your life. It's almost <laughs> toxic, toxic positivity, <laughs> totally. like at least this. Yes. Or, and I'm like, no, no, oh. no. Can you just say this is awful? This sucks. This is not what uh, you want yeah. to be doing right now. Be the Eeyore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Well, like often I've noticed, I've learned a lot from the nurses. They come into your hospital room and they sit on the bed and they say, this is awful. You've had a horrible time lately. And then you say, yes, Mm. I have. And then you talk and you've broken the ice. And then next minute you're laughing about, I don't know, suggestions about trashy Netflix (laughs) TV shows to watch while you're, (laughs) you know, stuck in there. And it just kind of, it's an acknowledgement first. And then you can get beyond that. So real. Well, and it feels you're not changing the channel on someone's emotions, right? It's like, like with the toxic positivity, and I love that phrase, I'm 100% going to use that and credit you, is 
when, when someone does that, what they're doing is they change the channel on that low mood, on that grief, you know, get back to the channels that I'm comfortable in and I'm comfortable with you being in. And mm. when mm. the nurse comes in, right. And it's like, this sucks. This is the worst. They allow you to stay right where you're at. And then by nature, by, by human connection, by sitting on the channel that that's playing, you, we naturally lift, we do it. We go to, we go mm -hmm. to laughter, we go to other places, but naturally and through compassion rather than a, oh, this is bad, turn it, change it, make it stop. Yep. I think the opposite of that is someone who, you know, messages me with the very best of intentions, but they'll say, you know, hope you had a great day today. And I'm thinking, you know, today was really, really hard. What do I say? And mm -hmm. so I end up just saying thanks and we never talk further. Um, okay. So that might be yeah. actually something that we could get creative with right now is what are, so there are some people where that will continue to be your response because they, they, they just don't have the dimension to handle more than things. Yep. Um, but you might have other people that you could say, thanks. Um, today was a one out of 10, <laughs> a, yep. a little more, a little something extra. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do. I think there are certain people who will say, how was your day today? And I can say today mm. was great. And mm. they know that not every day is great, but, and I don't, I don't mm -hmm. feel like I'm betraying our marathon we're on by saying today was good right. and easy. Um, when all the other days can be quite hard. And That's I think right. also a lot of the hard days is actually just in our head too. It's, the will we be going to the hospital tonight will we you know will he get worse or will something happen um it's a lot of dread because you know that he it has is. got currently no immune system um yes. and the doctors say it's inevitable it, he's going to be in the hospital you know multiple multiple times and pack your bag for two weeks um and be ready um so it's really hard to just be in the moment sometimes and accept that yeah. today was good. You, you think? Yeah, yeah. So this is the, the dread feeling you're talking about. It's almost like it's a traumatic response to the unpredictable. Okay. Mm. So I don't know what's going to happen. And, and that makes me feel it, uh, like I'm in chaos, like I'm not sure. I, my body might be responding. So we're it's actually like we're we're building trauma in the here and now when we are in a place where there is constant hypervigilance and and is necessary you can't be lax this nope. is something you have to be vigilant about so this is yeah this is a cul-de-sac like we're up against a wall here at the back mm. yeah mm. Mm -hmm. And when I get with when I get together with people, which is not so often, or when I talk with people, I want to get beyond talking about events and opinions, and mm -hmm. just talk about feelings. And I know that some of my friends don't want to burden me with things going on in their life, but I would love to, you know, know mm -hmm. what's going on instead of them holding back because they think, you know, their their situations are just nothing in comparison and oh, that it would yes. have burdened me it's so real 
That's so real because what you know what you're saying is treat me like I'm normal. Yeah. Could you yeah. remember that I'm also your girlfriend who watches the show on Netflix? Like, like give me something of yours. I'm holding mine all day. I'd love to hear your stuff. <laughs> mm. Yeah. As, as, and also when you first see people after he's been diagnosed, it's, it's this weirdest, weirdest, most surreal experience. It's like you're in a movie because you know those faces where people see something horrific just and you see that kind of horror look across their face well I've never seen like people I know or even random people have this look when they see you and you say what's happened um it's it's kind of there for the briefest of moments but it's there and you're like whoa did they just see a ghost or something and you're like oh no that's right um because for me talking about it is just my normal life it's not awkward right it's It's what it is right (laughs) it is what it is and we're in it um, and, and in the middle of the conversation, she was just like, oh, look at you. And I guess she was expecting me to be like a mess on the floor or I don't know what she was expecting, but she was surprised that we could have a normal conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's so real. It's, um, I, my, my only experience with, with that is when after my brother had passed and we would see people for the first time and there was this moment where they'd see me and they were excited then they'd remember and then they'd change this is happening within like a fraction of a second right of like yeah yeah oh and you're like hey like i <laughs> it's like it's oh I, okay like um and then the awkward head tilt like they they, they move their head I, I mean i'll never forget remember to think like could people stop tilting their head apologizing with their neck if they could just keep that head up straight and just look me in the face and be like hey yeah so refreshing yeah I mean because you're still yourself but also yeah there is some major changes so it's 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 both it is both it is both Okay, so if you were like going to tell, if you were going to, if you were the social worker, right, and you're going to talk to another family who is experiencing a life change like this, specifically as it relates to maybe to to childhood leukemia, Mm -hmm. what do you want friends to know? The friends, not even the parents, just the friends of the parents. I think it's such a marathon and it's not enjoyable. So, it's a long-term investment that you're making here. It's not adjusting. It's not, it's, it's just ongoing and it's going to change everything in your life. And to have those constant people who check in on you sometimes every day and just say, thinking of you, don't have to reply. Um, and, and, or just here, I'm dropping off a meal on your, not asking what can I do to help or, those kind of vague things because you have no headspace to think of those. So just be the one who takes the initiative and reaches out because like I never call my friends now, hardly ever, unless I'm Mm. hardly ever, but I will take their calls all the time. Um, It's because I just, sometimes I'm just so stuck in it. I can't actually see what's going on to know that I just need to have a call with someone and feel better. Um, That's right. Because everything That's just right. feels sometimes just a blur and overwhelming and you don't even know what you need for help. Oh, 
Because it is. Yeah, because it is too much. It's too big. And there isn't a moment of, huh, who should I talk to right now? It's all yeah. just, yeah, it's whizzing by. And I think what one of the things we really want most is like boring days where nothing happens and it's just <laughs> normal things and any sense of normality that you can offer your friends like, oh, if you used to go out for a coffee or dessert with your friends every month, just do that if you can. Keep inviting them rather than not because I'd rather say, no, I can't this time than not get included anymore. Yes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's like, don't like, I think sometimes people are like, oh, we're afraid to intrude or we're afraid to say something. And it's like, like the normal, the normal things are what people need so, so much in that space. Yeah. There's, there's no wrong, there's no, there's no magic words anyways. Um, I think <laughs> the worst thing is I think silence. Yeah. Because the longer you don't talk, so many more things have happened. And mm -hmm. yeah, I it, agree. I agree. I think uh, yeah. earlier this year when all the things with George Floyd's um, mm -hmm. death and protests were happening, like there were a lot of people saying I was silent and I'm sorry for not speaking up before. Whoa. And I thought about oh. that in terms of this as well, like not trying to make it all about me, but um, no, 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 I hear you. For people going through hard things, um, and you just silence just makes the gap between people so much, so much harder to cross. The longer people don't speak out about things that are wrong or not good, uh, without a doubt, because there's this sense of like, okay, now it's been too long. Now what do I say? And it's like, it, it, if you don't know what to say, you can say just that. I don't know what to say. I'm showing up anyway. Oh, that's yeah. the best. Like, I have no idea what mm -hmm. to say. Um, I'm awkward. I'm sorry. This, I just, I'm inadequate here. And that's okay. Like, get that said and then move on to talking about, talking about things again. Um, and I think, like, the people that you're drawn to are the people who are really open about life not being perfect. Um, totally. And oh, yeah, isn't that refreshing? Okay with that. Yeah, it is really <laughs> yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's I okay. So, I think part of the way that I, I think of these things is there's this two dimensional world, and all you have is height and width. And we're all used to living in that world until something interrupts us with this third dimension that it hurts like hell to be widened like that, to, to have this third dimension of pain, of suffering. And now people that are, are still in that two-dimensional world, like they can't see that third dimension. They can't touch it. They can't hold it. They don't know it. And so they, they just, it runs flat. But then there's other people and they have also have that third dimension. They hold depth in the same way. They can have the hard conversations. And when you meet them, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, I see that you've been here in some way. You know, it might not be your childhood leukemia but it's something that allows you to sit next to me in this space and and I think that that's it's illuminating when we realize or things get sorted for us the people that have that additional dimension and are able to understand the depth and 
the suffering and the I don't knows and just the heavy, the heaviness of what it is that you're, you are in, in this exact moment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it really, it really is that kind of shift of, of the depth you, you know, I, so many good things have come out of this for my family and it sounds weird to say that um, because I wouldn't want to do this again, but mm-hmm. we have much better conversations with our kids um, and I think we're a lot more open with them um, about all the gray areas that things are not. Yeah things are not um, exact and measurable always. Um, Mm. And I think they've gone, I mean, uh, the best thing is actually the timing of the pandemic and his leukemia came at the same time so that all my kids are at home with him and he's not lonely during the day. Um, And he, you know, he's the biggest extrovert. He is so happy (laughs) that they're home with him. And, you know, Lots of other things like the movie theaters being shut and he can now watch the movies. He's not missing out because the movie theaters is one of the worst places for him to go. You know, so, you know, I guess the other weird thing is he, he, you know, we often go to Hawaii every year for a family Mm -hmm. vacation. We can't go this year. But, you know, my husband was like, well, damn it, nobody can go there this year. (laughs) 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 You know, and so I think for him, he he blames the coronavirus for a lot of his limitations, Mm. which would normally be because of his leukemia. Um, Totally. (laughs) He's he's like, when will this coronavirus be over? And, you know, like, he's got three years of treatment. It's a long time. Um, And... You know, we can't travel or do anything for those three years. And I think a lot of people are saying now the world's going to be shifted for a number of years. Yeah. It's, it's oh, yeah. really interesting. Mm. It, isn't that, that's so interesting. There's a, I like that he gets to call it something else. There's something, right? To be like, oh, the coronavirus. And so that way it's not all because of leukemia or it's just just an isolated incident. He's the only one in the family who's experiencing that. It, that's so interesting how like the leukemia doesn't have to do all the heavy lifting here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not to minimize it for him because he really knows what, you know, his, yeah. he, a, a friend told me right at the very beginning, she said, look, I'm going to give you one piece of advice and I don't, I don't, I'm not going to give you any more, but she said, call leukemia by its name. Don't say he's sick or cancer mm-hmm. um, to him mm-hmm. so that if he hears someone else is sick or he hears something else, he's not going to like mix up yep. the consequences and things. And um, yeah, so just to be really That's specific right. with him about what's happening. Yes, that is such good advice. There, um, I've so this is how ha- I've had a person in my office before where they their mom had died of cancer and they heard somebody else was sick. They'd never used the word cancer. They just kept saying, "Mommy is sick. Mommy is sick," and literally, I mean, this was years and years and years. And every time someone would get sick, she she couldn't separate the fact that she thought that that person then was going to die no matter what. Wow. And so, you're right. You're right. How, how else could we build that association? And so if we call it leukemia and we hear things like the best kind of cancer and survival rates, you know, we're hearing all this, 
you're, he's hearing a very different message than, ooh, sick, scary. It's so amoebic. How do you understand it? Mm. Yeah. Kids are interesting, though, because, like, statistics and things, like, my husband tried to explain it at the beginning, like, 96% of kids will survive it. And my seven-year-old daughter, like, about six weeks later, She's, she was she was really holding in all her feelings and quite just quiet and reserved. And she started crying one day and I said, what's the matter? And she said, well, Theo is one of the four. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she said, oh. you know, and I guess for in her mind, she thought, well, four kids out of a hundred don't make it. And we've got four kids in the family and he's the one with leukemia. Oh. That's how the math worked for oh. a seven-year-old. Oh. <laughs> like, oh, sweet. Oh. Oh, sweet baby. Yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, and you were holding that. You were holding on to that. Oh, your yeah. girl. Yeah. yeah and and I, yeah, I, we had a good talk and it was just like a moment of her really realizing that it's better just to get it out of your head and not hold on mm-hmm. to it. Oh, can that just not be a truth for life? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tell, tell me about your other kiddos and what this has been like for them, because this is also yeah. there's a family impact. Yeah, um, our second oldest, um, he's Austin. He, he, he gets quite anxious just generally. He wears his heart on his sleeve. You know, mm-hmm. if, if any of us is sick, he's the one running off, going and getting, you know, pillows and blankets and making sure everyone's Shit. happy. And he's just a very sweet. Um, yeah. And so he gets very anxious when something was going wrong. And so at the beginning, he was in school for probably about a month before the pandemic hit here. And he, um, yeah, he wasn't eating his lunch at school. And his teacher said, started sending me emails and contacting me. Just the fact that um, I think he was so nervous, he didn't know what was happening with at home or in the hospital um, and he wouldn't play sport because he was worried about injury because Theo has to worry about oh. injury so it was a lot of oh. these things so we started doing check-ins during the day with the teacher Love it. just before lunchtime so he would feel relaxed enough about that mm. um, but really he's it's just disappeared and dissipated the, the longer we've been at home with all the kids together because um, yeah, he's just with him and he can see what's happening. And we did take him for a day to the hospital where he could see everything because before it was just all in yeah. his imagination, what's going on, yeah. what does, right. what does exactly. it mean he's going to get a surgery in the hospital, you know, he gets um, chemo via surgery sometimes and just to see all the things. And he came back and he was just like, oh, it's really boring in there. There's a lot of waiting around. You know, I guess he thought it was like an emergency room situation the whole time mm, in there and totally. he just realized there's a lot of waiting rooms and a lot of you know paperwork and things every time um so yeah it just really dissipated for him and he's been back to school a little bit since then but now we're in another lockdown here um, he's just okay. happy at, he's just happy at home he's um they're totally. very close brothers the um my oldest son mm. he's just turned 12 he's Mm-hmm. He's a more thoughtful, um, he's more serious and he's, he's sort of, yeah, he really, he tries to be the responsible one. Um, he had to write an essay for school recently and he wrote it about Theo and cancer. It was meant to be about bravery and kindness. Wow. 
And oh my gosh. It's incredible what he wrote, um, just from his perspective about how, you know, he wrote one line in it, which was, you know, it's not fair, but none of this is fair in anyone. Um, mm. Because he often, you know, like if Theo's upset, they just can't retaliate. You know, he, he's, he'll throw a punch and the other kids just can't retaliate because um, a punch could mean a hospital trip if he got yeah. one. Um, yeah. Because his platelets are often really low and that means, you know, if he gets bleeding, it won't stop. Right, right. Um, won't stop. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he's he's grown up a whole lot this year and I think... I think it's actually been good for him. I think he's put a lot of his mm -hmm. own little things into perspective, um, not to make a big deal about little things that are really inconsequential, um, mm -hmm. which I think he would have in the past. It's so it's so wild. It's it's what's interesting to me is the way you have journeyed through this season. We'll call it. Um, you have you can see things positively without them being in toxic positivity, right? So you mm -hmm, can see mm -hmm. things as very clearly, this is good. This is just bad, period. Like there's no, there's nothing positive in it. There's no upside. This is stupid. <laughs> and then here's yeah. the thing that's like, oh, like that's actually like better. Like there's, there, this is a better situation. Yes. Yeah. And you're, you're holding them both without it having to be false. Yeah, that's wow. And our and our son Theo, he's he's he amazes me so much about how he can be in the moment and not worry about things that are coming up. Um, maybe that's just part of being a five year old, but mm. <laughs> it really does help that he's not thinking about tomorrow or the next treatment that he's going to get. Um, but <clears throat> it's. And, and a lot of his anxiety will come out in anger and like just lashing out. So that's quite hard sometimes to manage. Um, but often you get down to it and it's actually him just saying, I'm scared. And of mm. course he should be. Yeah. And one day my husband found, I, I heard him, I was doing some work and my husband went in to see him. He, he was just yelling on his bed for like 30 minutes. I hate my life at the top of his lungs. Oh. Oh. And Sometimes he just needs time to cool down. And I heard my husband go in and he said, oh, yeah, you have every right to hate your life. It's just, this sucks. Like, this is not fun. This is not what you should be doing every day. Um, yeah. Taking gross tasting medicines that and steroids that make you hungry constantly and okay. all of those things. Wow. And they just sat with him and said, yeah, and so we're not afraid of him saying things like I hate my life um, because it's the moment of how he's feeling and he's getting it out of his head and the doctors say to us, oh, it's good. We'd worry more if he was holding it back within and not talking about it. That's, that's, um, it's going to be more longer term problems dealing with it like that way. Right. That's it. Your husband is clearly a very intuitive human. Like that's a, that's not yeah. people's natural instinct to say that. It's typically what we talked about originally, which is steer, steer them away from that thing. Say, oh, you don't say that. Don't say that. And it's like, let the kid 
rage for a minute. Look at all that that needed to come out because under that is, I'm afraid. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I was in the hospital once and like he was, Theo was saying the most horrific things to me, like, you know, I'm going to come and kill you. And I was talking with Mm -hmm. the social workers and the the hospital staff later and I was like thinking, gosh, they're going to put him on meds for this now and um mm. they I was I, I said all the things he said and did and they were like oh yeah that's pretty normal I was like yep. what what no like he's going yep. through this incredibly abnormal experience he's gonna say these things and they said yes because he's saying them to you he feels safe saying them to you mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's a good thing that he can say I hate you, mum. And he doesn't really mean it. He's just in the moment. He's just hating what's happening, and I'm the one who looks right. like who's bringing this to him because I'm the one That's who takes right. him to the to the hospital or makes him take yes. his meds. Yes, yes. So this um and then steroids by nature. I mean that this that roid rage you know that we've heard before like oh, that yeah. really does occur. And there's and chemo brain right. So we've got two things neurobiologically working against. Theo's system, which uh, it's basically like he puts on these glasses and it's, it's red rage. And here comes mom who's, I'm with you, I'm in the hospital and you're the object now in his vision. So it is not you, it is his brain under siege plus the secondary effects of how painful and awful it is to be a prisoner to your own body. So man, you're just the one closest to him. Yeah. Because I I also, I'm really happy that he feels that freedom to say that because mm-hmm. the family I was brought up in, we did not have that kind of, we had the opposite. We kind of held back all our feelings. Um, and my husband's family is the opposite. So yeah, I think that's where he, I've grown a lot from seeing how he deals with mm-hmm. things like that. Um, that's beautiful. Mm. Isn't that incredible to think about, like, the the gift that you had already been living into with your husband of ex- more feeling expression, people were, were allowed to say what we're actually feeling, and what a gift that was before this, and now, mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, we yeah. need that. That was, That's not even a gift. That's our life support right now. Yeah. Yeah. At the very beginning you know, he was in hospital for a long time and the doctors and all these people would come into the room and talk and talk and talk. And here's a five-year-old who can't be going and doing what he wants and just hears boring conversations. And um, (laughs) he started like screaming, like, shut the hell up. And I was just like, part of me was mortified that where did this come from? Like, (laughs) never heard him say this before. Like, and there's a there's a thing at our hospitals called play specialist, and their job is um, yeah. to deal with kids' anxiety and make them okay with and understand what's happening to them in the hospital. I think they're like some kind of magic. Um, I don't know what they do or how they do it, but <laughs> they just know how to calm calm kids. Um, yeah. And she was in there, and she said, you know, he he said, you know, he said that to her, and she said, oh, I'm sorry. Um, would you like us to take this conversation um, out in the corridor? Or do you want me to keep talking to your mom in here? And he said, out in the corridor, top of his lungs. And so we went out there. And then after that, he'd always 
tell people I want you to go out in the corridor. She gave him some form of control over something he has yep. like very little and yes. she listened to him and it taught me a lot because in the past they would have just said, you know, we're almost finished, you know, you know, just hold on, we're almost finished our conversation and I realized that yeah, it's he is the patient. He is it is his space in that room and he does need some form of yes, control over Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To say, I'm gonna draw a line. And that information is going to stay out there and everything else that I can possibly handle can stay in here. Yeah. You are, you are learning. Your eyes are wide open, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And I think also sometimes when you think you've just got it figured out, then there's some new challenges. Um, mm -hmm. Even eight months in, you know, the shock has worn off now. Um, and sure. we are walking encyclopedias of all the side effects of chemo now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, just so many medical terms that you have to learn and understand. And on top of that, though, you still like, there's just challenges still every day. You know, sometimes I'm just he breaks me still in my negotiating powers to try and get him to do something. Um, you know, he just doesn't want to do it. Um, and right. he, he's five, you know, why should he have to do this new thing? You know, um, totally. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a, it's been a, a real experience and sometimes it feels like it's yes. it's me looking in on my life and yeah I'm fully aware of all the exhaustion and all the feelings that go with it as well at the same time that's so real and that is that is that um the person take like you're taking a break within yourself like when you can see your own life you're like okay I'm just going to stop I just need a little bit of a break and that's where we get like that bird's eye perspective or like we're on the outside of the fishbowl and then it's like, okay, here we go, back in. I'm in, I'm in it, I'm back in the moment, back in the, all the other things you have to do as a mom of four children in COVID with school and yeah. <laughs> like all the other things of life that don't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel, would you tell me, you? This is like a, such a unique opportunity. You're like, okay, I'm going to go on this podcast to talk about this. Tell, what made you want to do that? Like, like it, I, I'm so curious about, you're in New Zealand. I'm in California. How did we get to here? Um, I followed Kristen Howerton and her podcast, Selfie, mm -hmm. and you were on there once, I think. Um, mm -hmm. and then from there I listened to your podcast and then I listen to a lot of podcasts to try and sleep at night. <laughs> so sometimes I've sure, listened to like different podcasts and I found another one, um, oh, Katie, um, I've forgotten the name of it right now. Um, everything happens for a reason, um, podcast. Oh yeah. Kate Bowerton. Thank yeah. you. And yeah. I found that podcast really good because 
people were talking about their experiences and things and then I heard you spoke with um you did an interview with a woman who was dying of cancer yes and like I yes. just I learned so much from that podcast um mm. and I think a lot of the themes resonated with me like how she said so many good things were happening at the same time with her family um and just the awkwardness with people I really thought yeah this is it's not just limited to yeah um her situation and so for me talking about things like this really helps me process it um I want to write a book about it because I hope you do (laughs) I'm on a few cancer support groups and like everyone seems to ask is there a book or is there some resource that is not like medical and it's not a memoir because memoirs are okay but like they're more I think therapeutic for the person writing it and um yeah it's just like all the things that I wish I knew at the beginning um I didn't feel alone because I think most of the Mm -hmm. posts on the cancer forums are people saying has anyone else had and they're really just saying am I alone in this um that's right oh gosh you know that's such a picture of the human experience isn't it like like whatever so whatever Facebook metaphorical Facebook room we're all in right whether it's it's cancer or death or suffering or divorce or pandemic or pick one just being a human on earth is anyone out there? Does it, has anyone been here before? Am I totally alone? You know, it's this, it's this huge existential piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we, and we find our people like wherever mm-hmm. we're at in life, we do find That's them. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I think a lot of it, like just seeing the response to what, when my son wrote his essay and when I've written a few things down about, you know, about how you cannot even think of a single thing when someone says what can I do to help when you're in this it just it's impossible you literally cannot think of it when you're stressed and in that traumatic moment they're universal things and I think even if we don't have a child with cancer we probably will know someone who's going to go through something that we think in our head I can't imagine what you're going through Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I actually I have a um a friend of mine and her job is to help people get their like thoughts into books. And I will, I'll send you the information. Um, Her Instagram is called, I think it's called let's find your voice. And she's just, she is such a gift and she of helping people like, Hey, this is how you would actually write the book part. Right. Cause I think a lot of us have like, Oh, like the world needs to know this. And if they knew this, then like things would be easier for other people. <laughs> and so her name's Allie Fallon. And I think that that would be a great connection that like do, do it, write the book. Like what, like mm. we've got like one shot in this life to say the things, write the things, live the things. So why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you write this book? Yeah. Yeah. Are you writing one too? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I saw once on your Instagram little cards or things. <laughs> yeah. I am. Um, I in it. And that was part of, that's part of Ali's process. And okay. It's so I've tried to write a book before. I've tried many times 
And I stopped because I was getting so stuck in the events rather than a format. I'm like, I'm not a writer. So to have someone who's like, that's their gift, you're like, oh, cool. Yeah, no, no, no. I got all the things. I just need to put them in that format. So that way it actually happens. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's exciting. Mm. So, Rachel, what would be something you would give or want to leave people with today? Ooh. It seems really... Um, had to express but to be thankful for boring days for days when (laughs) or just to be okay with hanging out with your family and not having a full calendar and that's okay and just being together with people you love and just talking about how you really feel absolutely absolutely yeah to be thankful for the regular yeah. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful just to, to to hear your experience and then your reflection of your experience and then just a beacon of light, clarity, and hope for people that are or will or have experienced something like this. Yeah. Thanks. So write the, write the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Write the book. Um, I'm, I'll email you after this too, and I'll send you all her information. That way you can find it and, and do it. But um, yeah, I think you've got a lot to say, and that might just be the book that gets you started. Perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. I hope you have a lovely day. Squish Theo for me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll um, send you a photo of him so you can see see him after oh. as well. Yeah, my, my oh, you, oh, I would. My I'm swelling with like love already. Yes, please, I would love that. All right. <laughs> okay, Thank Rachel. you so much. All take right, take care. care. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.